Today's Bible reading is from Isaiah chapter 55. Is anyone thirsty? Come and drink, even if you have no money. Come, take your choice of wine or milk. It's all free. Why spend your money on food that does not give you strength? Why pay for food that does you no good? Listen, and I will tell you where to get food that is good for the soul. Come to me with ears with your ears wide open. Listen, for the life of your soul is at stake. I am ready to make an everlasting covenant with you. I will give you all the mercies and unfailing love that I promised to David. He displayed my power by being my witness and a leader among the nations. You will also com- command the nations, and they will come running to obey, because I, the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, have made you glorious. Seek the Lord while you can find him. Call on him while he is near. Let the people turn from their wicked deeds. Let them banish from their minds the very thought of doing wrong. Let them turn to the Lord, that he may have mercy on them. Yes, turn to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. My thoughts are completely different from yours, says the Lord, and my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. The rain and snow come down from the heavens and stay on the ground to water the earth. They cause the grain to grow, producing seed for the farmer and bread for the hungry. It is the same with my word. I send it out, and it always produces fruit. It will accomplish all I want it to, and it will prosper everywhere I send it. You will live in joy and peace. The mountains and hills will burst into song, and the trees of the field will clap their hands. Where once there were thorns, cypress trees will grow. Where briars grew, myrtles will sprout up. This miracle will bring great honour to the Lord's name. It will be an everlasting sign of his power and love. We will now have the sermon from Pete Blanche. Hi, everyone. It's great to have you with us again online. It'd be great to be back in person next week. And isn't it great news with the selection panel and all their hard work behind the scenes and uh, uh, advertising, interviewing, and we, we need to be thankful for them. And so uh, it's very exciting news, and uh, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm excited by it today as well. Uh, look, grab your Bibles, leave them open there at Isaiah. How about I pray, and we'll get stuck into it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do want to thank you for your word. Thank you that it doesn't come back to you empty. It always fulfills its purpose. And Father, we want to ask that today it would do its work in our lives and in our souls, that we would love you, follow you, and obey you. Amen. Now, look, to get here today at, uh, at Luke Hitwell's place, that's where our studio is. Studio is. I walked out of my house, I hopped in the car, I grabbed this set of keys and I put this key into the ignition of my car, started a motor and drove here. And I know that's fascinating stuff and the point I would like to make from this kind of important or exciting moment in my life is that it did take this key to start the car. Without this key... In the ignition, my car, no matter how good it looked, which it doesn't look very good, it wasn't going to take me anywhere. It took this key to unlock the potential and unleash the power of my 13-year-old Skoda Octavia. Now, you might be wondering, what's all that got to do with the book of Isaiah? Well, last Sunday, when we looked into chapters 42 to 53, we discovered that the key that that really unlocked the full potential of God's plan, his plan to transform the world, it turned out to be the servant, the capital S suffering servant. 
that mysterious figure that just arrived in the book, just when our, our hopes were raised, if you remember, by Hezekiah, but then all of a sudden dashed. All of a sudden, and then the, the, the servant appeared in this very dramatic way, and he is the one that substituted himself for our sins. He bore our punishment. He was pierced for our transgressions, we're told. He was crushed for our iniquities, and the punishment that brought us peace was laid upon him. And it is that extraordinary substitution of the servant for us that was the final piece in God's plan to transform the world. And as such, that piece just activates everything. It really is like turning the key in the ignition on God's good purposes for his world as as all the good plans of God for his people, all those good things just kind of suddenly spring into life which is exactly what we're going to see in today's passages from Isaiah. As now in Isaiah chapter 54 and 55 and 56, they're the ones we'll look at, but I'll go on to 57 and 58. All these good things just kind of because Jesus has died in our place, they spring into life, which actually makes this a very exciting part of the Bible for us to pay attention to because remember, Jesus is a suffering servant. He accomplished what Isaiah chapter 42 to 53 spoke about. So what Isaiah could only look forward to, we now actually enjoy because of Jesus. And what do we enjoy because of Jesus? Well, Isaiah is going to tell us here in chapter well, chapter 55, he's going to tell us that what we enjoy, we enjoy in terms of what he calls a permanent covenant that now exists between God and his people, a permanent covenant. Have a look at your Bibles there in Isaiah chapter 55, verse 3. Here's how it's spoken of here. Give ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you, my faithful promise, uh, my faithful love promised to David. So here is what flows out and is unlocked. And, and when the servant finishes his work, it's this permanent covenant everlasting covenant. Now, I know the word covenant is a word we don't use so much nowadays, but the word covenant basically means, you know, it's a promise, a commitment, a, an agreement. It's a very rich biblical idea. Uh, nowadays, sometimes we talk about if you're building a house, you can have a housing covenant where all the people in a particular suburb all covenant to agree to have the same colored fences. Or maybe it's more likely we see it, uh, you might be familiar with a marriage covenant where two people vow and make promises to each other in what is a binding agreement. Now in the Bible, in fact, all the way through it, all the way through the Old Testament, God makes covenants and he makes binding agreements with people. He made covenants with people like Abraham and Noah and Moses. Indeed, in chapter 54, Isaiah actually refers to quite a number of those previous covenants. Uh, I will leave you to read that chapter for yourself if you haven't read it already, but you'll find in that chapter that he talks about the covenant God made with Noah and God's promise to Noah as to not destroy the earth with water again is specifically mentioned. But you'll also find he alludes to the covenant that God made or cut with Abraham. Although he doesn't specifically mention the word covenant there, Isaiah will use imagery to make us remember 
the covenant that God made with him to have lots of children. Similarly, Isaiah will then use other phrases to help us recall what happened at Mount Sinai and the covenant God established with Moses there to make Israel his people, that he would be their God and they would be his people in this binding covenantal relationship. And so when you read all of chapter 54, what you notice is Isaiah is deliberately referring to all these previous covenants. He does it because he wants you to understand what the servant has achieved. He wants us to see the greatness of what the servant has established and unleashed. You see, all the blessings of those previous covenants, I mean, they were great, but this new everlasting permanent covenant will have fulfilled those blessings. In fact, it would have expanded and deepened those blessings in a very rich way. I mean, that that covenant, I will be your God and you will be my people, that covenant with Moses that was actually broken by the people in their sinfulness, but that covenant is expanded as now through the servant, God's people are indeed restored to God. And they are even closer than they were before because through Jesus they become adopted as his children. But what about that the covenant with Abraham and the many children? I mean, that covenant is expanded and deepened to include people from all nations who can be now children of Abraham. And the covenant of Noah, of peace between God and people, a peace ruined by ongoing sin, but now genuine peace with God is in place because sins have been forgiven because the punishment that brought us peace was laid upon him and God's anger and wrath have been completely removed, not temporarily, but once for all. Chapter 54 just keeps reminding us of the covenants that God has made in the past so as to build anticipation. For chapter 55, the anticipation of his deeper, grander, richer, forever covenant that the servant is establishing. An arrangement between God and his people that is just so terrific that you really want to be a part of it. Which is why chapter 55 opens with an invitation. Have a look in your Bibles now. Come look at chapter 55, verse 1. Having highlighted all that, chapter 55, verse 1 says, Come, all you who are thirsty. Come to the waters. Here God is issuing an invitation. Come, please come. Anyone who is thirsty. Anyone who is parched. And it's clear he's not talking about literal thirst at this point. It's meant to be, it's a metaphor here about being dissatisfied with life, or having a life that is hungry, a life that is looking for meaning and purpose. It's an invitation that we need to hear today, actually, because in our world, people of actually, of of all all nations of all time, really, there is inbuilt in us this, this hunger and this thirst for satisfaction. And we need to really hear this today because perhaps I think we are the wealthiest culture that has ever existed. The prosperity we enjoy is massive. And yet even as I say that, I know you're probably thinking, gee, I wish I had some more, Pete. And that's exactly the point because it doesn't satisfy. We have so much yet we want more. We have a massive reality of privilege and yet a profound sense of dissatisfaction a profound unrest and unfulfillment. You would think that we would be the most satisfied culture of all time, and yet it turns out we are the most dissatisfied people in living history. 
And here is God's invitation, come. Come, all you who are thirsty or hungry, come and be satisfied. This is such an important invitation that after extending the invitation in verse 1, Isaiah then rattles off quite a number of reasons why you should accept the invitation as the rest of chapter 55 flows on. I'm going to mention a few of the reasons. Here's reason number one. It's free of charge. I mean, have a look there. Look at there, back to chapter 55, verse 1 again. Chapter 55, verse 1. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters, you who have no money. Come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. You know, got no money? No problem. Come and buy whatever you want. This is not an invitation only given to those who can afford to, to come. No, 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 come, it says, without cost. And it really is quite an extravagant picture there, isn't it? It's, it's, it's kind of like that imagery of, um, you know, you can go down the Woolies and you can, you can take as many trolleys as you want and you can fill them up as high as you want and you can fill them up as often as you want with whatever you want because it's all paid for. And this invitation is to you for you to come and enjoy the blessings of God. Come as often as you want, whenever you want, with whatever you want, whoever you are, it's been paid for because remember the servant has footed the bill. Isaiah 53, he was pierced for our transgressions. He's footed the bill. Reason number one to accept the invitation, it's, it's free. Reason number two, not only is it free, but it is satisfaction guaranteed. Have a look at the second verse of Isaiah 55. He says, why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good. You will, and you will delight in the richest of fare. Give ear and come to me and listen that you may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. Now, look, I don't know about you, but in my life, I, I tend to be so easily dissatisfied. You get some stuff, you like it, you buy it, but as soon as you buy it, you hear about the latest version. There's a new upgrade. It's been, there's a better version out there, and all of a sudden you feel the urge to replace something that you've just brought. You know, dissatisfaction is just rife in our world. But God says here in verse 2, in giving of this everlasting covenant, that there will be lasting delight. He has generously giving the richest of fare. And what he gives will satisfy. It won't disappoint. There will be no letdowns. You will never need to, nor will you want to, upgrade out of this arrangement with God. And you have his word on it. Which is, in fact, the third reason why you should accept the invitation. Reason number three is you can trust the person issuing the invitation. Uh, Look, for example, at verse 8. Look at verse 8 of Isaiah chapter 55. He says there, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish, so it yields for the sower and bread for the eater. Well, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. 
it's a highlight that when God says something, it happens. And so this invitation to enter an everlasting covenant, a covenant of peace which will delight and satisfy your soul, which you can enter into for free because of what the suffering servant has done, it all sounds too good to be true, but you just have to look at the person who's handing the invitation to you. It is the God of the universe, the God whose word never turns back to him, him empty, the God who just speaks and whole galaxies are flung into space. He is the one whose word always comes true. It accomplished what he desires. And so this invitation to come and be a part of an everlasting covenant, it is a certainty. The true and living God is offering to it to you. Accept it. Another reason, a fourth reason to accept it. Is that not only is it free and not only is it guaranteed, it will also involve a brand new creation. It's going to be so good. Look at verse 12. Isaiah 55 verse 12, You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills will burst into song before you, and all the trees of the fields will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush will grow the juniper, and instead of the briars, the myrtle will grow. This will be for the Lord's renown, for an, an everlasting sign that will endure forever. Now these really are quite intriguing words, aren't they? It's saying that, that, that God, what God has in store, what the... What the what the blessing that the servant has unleashed is, is there's going to be a place where thorns and weeds are going to be completely replaced by junipers and myrtles. A place so joyous, it says, so full of goodness, it's as if the landscape itself will be singing. And it seems that actually the musical, I've, to my shame, probably never actually ever seen, that in fact the hills will indeed be alive with the sounds of music. A place where there, this is a promise of a brand new creation, a place of no more frustration, of no more anxiety, of no more difficulties because the old order of things would have completely passed away. And verse 13, notice, describes this as an everlasting sign. In other words, just as, just as the rainbow was a sign of Noah's covenant and just as circumcision was a sign of Abraham's covenant, this brand new unspoiled world is going to exist as a permanent sign of a permanent covenant. And in fact, we need to be aware of that and watch this space because you're going to hear more about this joyous new world as, as the rest of the chapters or the final chapters of, of Isaiah unfold. But for now, let me just highlight just one more reason to accept the invitation. And it's a very important reason, and it gives urgency to the reason to accept the invitation. And the reason is this. You need to accept the invitation before it's too late, because the invitation is not going to be around forever. Look back at, with me at verse 6, a verse that we, kind of, that we skipped over. Look back at verse 6. It says there, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to God and he'll have mercy on them and to our God, for he will freely pardon them. Hear the generosity and the love in those words 
God says, turn back to me, forsaking your ways. And I love that. I love to show mercy on you. I'm just urgent to show a pardon for you. He is so generous and so loving. But notice also in those verses, the, the, the urgency, because it says, seek the Lord, it says, while he may be found. The clear implication being that there is a time where he won't be able to be found. Or again, call on him while he is near. The implication being there is a time coming where he won't be near anymore. And so please, whatever you do, take up the invitation while you can. It really is urgent. I was reading uh, an old uh, an old website this year and, um, about a, a lotto draw that happened in Perth about this time last year, about twelve months ago. Uh, the Perth Oz Lotto had a winning jackpot of fifty million dollars. Now, look, the chances of winning lotto are often very well documented, and and um, the odds are always astronomically high. They do depend precisely on how the you know the the thing is arranged. But to get this jackpot. In this lotto, your chances of getting the jetpock were one in 45 million. And yet, despite the ridiculous odds, when this Perth lotto draw, draw was on a year ago, there were warnings in the media saying you better go out and get your tickets early because time's going to run out. And it was estimated that they were selling more than 350 tickets per minute in the lead-up to the draw. I find that fascinating. People scrambling at the rate of 350 tickets a minute to get an offer like that before the deadline runs out. An offer for a prize that you've got Buckley's chance in winning and an offer that if you do happen to win, surveys and evidence show that most people who do win lotto are far unhappier in the years afterwards as the money ruins their life and their relationships. If people are scrambling for a remote chance of an unsatisfying prize, then how much more should we be scrambling to accept this invitation from God before the invitation runs out? And so that's why it's beholden upon me today, even though we're online, to to ask you, have you genuinely accepted the invitation? You may have been around church all your life, but you may have never personally spoken to God, never submitted to him, never accepted his invitation, never forsaken your old ways, returned to him and turned and called upon him while he is near. He is near to us in Jesus, a suffering servant. Today is the day to call upon him and, and, and accept the invitation. But of course, as soon as I say that, beyond accepting it for ourselves, it's also beholden upon me, isn't it? To say to those who have already accepted the invitation that if it's that urgent and if it's that good, and if people are, if we ought to be scrambling, you ought to be someone. Who, who, who are you giving the offer to? Who are you sharing this invitation with before the deadline runs out? And that is actually what Isaiah wants to talk to us, uh, to, uh, talk to us about next in the following chapter, as he moves on into Isaiah chapter fifty-six. 
because what he wants to talk to us in the, in, this, in, the, in the next chapter in Isaiah 56, he actually wants to talk to us about waiting and about waiting well. Something which we are often not very good at, can I say. I don't know if, if you know this, but in your life, um, it's suggested, people have kind of, I don't know who's crunched the numbers, but it's suggested that if you add up all the time that you spent waiting at traffic lights or waiting at the doctor's surgery or waiting at the checkouts at Coles, if you added up all the time in your life that you spend waiting, it ends up being something like three to five years of your life you spend in a queue. And often we're not good at it. And Isaiah in chapter 56 writes to people who are going to have to wait. Because remember, he's primarily right now, the first people who are listening to what he's, who, what he's, about, what he's talking about here are, the, are the, the people from Judah, the people who are about to go into exile, the people who are going to have to wait and wait for the suffering servant to arrive, are people who will be a little bit bruised and battered. They live before the arrival of Jesus. And so while they have the, the offer, the invitation, and while they have the guarantee of the promises, they will need to wait for God's salvation to come in full. And they'll need to wait well. You can tell that. Look at chapter 56, verse 1. He says here, this is what the sovereign Lord says, maintain justice and do what is right, for my salvation is close at hand and my righteousness will soon be revealed. Can you see how he's definitely talking about waiting there because God's salvation, it says, is close at hand. It's not here yet. It's close. You'll have to wait. He says, my righteousness will soon be revealed. It hasn't been revealed yet. It's coming soon. You'll have to wait. And in, in, in chapter 56, he, Isaiah writes to them and writes to Israel about how they are to wait and how they are to wait well. Now, look, as they are told things about how they are to wait, it's important to realize that you and I, we are actually in, a, in quite a different stage of history. Because for us, we live this side of Jesus, and so the suffering servant has arrived. Jesus has substituted himself for his people. He has died on the cross in our place. The opening of the floodgates of the blessings of God have happened. We now enjoy what Ephesians 1 says, every spiritual blessing in Christ. So you and I, we aren't waiting in exactly the same way that people in Isaiah's day were were waiting. But yet as disciples of Jesus, there is an important sense in which, of course, we too are waiting, aren't we? We are waiting for Jesus to return. He said he would come back. He said he would come back and wrap up this world and he would bring in that joyous new world that we've just been thinking about in Isaiah 55. And so you and I, we are still living in what I would call an in-between time where the kingdom of God, because of the servant, has come, but it is yet to come in full. We have the spirit of God within us as a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance, but the full spiritual body, the full inheritance is still yet to come. We live in a broken world. And so the delight and the satisfaction that we've just heard about, we struggle to feel that all the time because we're still waiting for the new creation to arrive. And so although our situation is significantly different to Israel, nevertheless, chapter 56 will have some very relevant things to say to us as we wait in our time. And to help us wait well, Isaiah has two lessons that we need to take to heart. The first one there is in verse 1. Look at Isaiah 56 verse 1 again. It says, this is what the Lord says. He's out of wait. Maintain justice and do what is right. 
or my salvation is close at hand and my righteousness will soon be revealed. It's very clear, isn't it, that the way God wants you to wait is to maintain justice and do what is right. And what's very important there is the word for. God wants people to do what is right. And what's the reason? For my salvation is close at hand and my righteousness will soon be revealed. I want you to notice that link. The link is that as you wait, you are to do what is right right now. Why? Because the fact that God does what is right will soon be seen. God wants Israel to be a visible sign now of what he will be seen to be in the future. God is just and God does what is right. And one day everyone will see that. But as they wait for that day, Israel are to be what God will seem to be in the future. They are to do what is right and maintain justice. And in terms of Old Testament Israel doing that, um, this will involve keeping the Sabbath day. Because remember, it is, it is Old Testament Israel that I was speaking to. So verse 2, look at verse 2. Blessed is the one who does this, the person who holds fast, who keeps the Sabbath without desecrating it and keeps their hands from doing any evil. Now, it can kind of feel a little bit surprising that Sabbath keeping is all of a sudden brought up here. But you've got to remember, keeping the Sabbath and maintaining justice are tightly linked in the Old Testament. Because in the Old Testament, Sabbath keeping wasn't just a personal, individual thing. It was very much a public thing, very much a civic duty. So the Sabbath wasn't just for masters, it was for slaves. It was even for working animals. Actually, it talks about uh, even the fields every seven years were to have a Sabbath rest. The The Sabbath, therefore, was an opportunity to serve God by justly caring for everyone and everything that you were responsible for. Now, obviously, this is one of the points where we need to remember that our situation is not exactly the same as Israel. At the time of Isaiah, Israel, of course, living under the Old Testament law, part of which meant keeping the Sabbath. Uh, You and I, for Christians this side of the cross, we're not under the law. There's a very real sense in Jesus in that God has never told us to keep the Sabbath. He told that to Israel at a time in history where being one of his people meant being an Israelite. Things are very different now. You don't have to be an Israelite to be one of God's people. In fact, Jesus has done away with the need even for the Israelites to keep the law anymore. That is why in several bits of the New Testament, say uh, Colossians and and Hebrews is another spot, they make the point that Jesus has fulfilled the Sabbath rest for us as Christians. And so for us as Christians, the rest that we look forward to now is a new creation. So it's not as big, not so much of an issue now. But the principle behind everything here is the big issue. The idea that God's people being righteous now as they wait for God's righteousness to be revealed That is a massively important principle. The idea of God's people being a visible sign now of what his kingdom will seem to be in the future, what a helpful lesson that is. Especially so as the rest of chapter 56 will spend time now telling you what our God is like so that you can be like him as you wait for for Jesus to return. And this is where the second lesson comes about how we are to to wait well. 
Because one of the things that tumbles out about what our God is really like at his heart is he is a mission-minded God. And if we are to be like him, we need to be mission-minded as well. You see that in the kind of, well, there's two people that get highlighted in chapter 3 of Isaiah 56. Two people that you would expect, if, well, if you were an Old Testament Israelite, you'd expect to be excluded and outside. See if you can work out who they are. Look at Isaiah 56 and verse 3. It says there, Let no foreigner who is bound to the Lord say, The Lord will surely exclude me from his people. And let no eunuch say, or complain, sorry, I'm only a dry tree. Did you see the two people get picked up there? One's a foreigner, the other's a eunuch. Firstly, the foreigner. Foreigners were allowed to be associated and even affiliated with Israel, but they were never considered to be in the same category as a full-blown Jew. And so there were things that they were excluded from, and particularly they were excluded from being in the inner inner courts there in the Jerusalem temple. And so in this verse, the foreigner understandably thinks, oh, the Lord will surely exclude me from this new covenant. The other person mentioned there is a eunuch. If you're not aware, a eunuch is someone who's been castrated. And they were also... Uh, never really thought as completely within the people of God. They were always treated as unclean because they were deemed to be incomplete. They were often people from a very poor background who were then castrated to serve as slaves because if they could serve as a slave and they're castrated, they'll have, they couldn't have their own family now, so you wouldn't have any divided loyalties and that you could trust them to, be, to, to look after the family and not, not mistreat the family. And under Jewish law, a eunuch, even if they were a Jew by birth, they were ceremonially unclean, deemed incomplete. In the words of verse 3, I'm only a dry tree. And so here you've got these two people who you wouldn't normally expect to be in God's people, certainly not allowed to go anywhere near the inner courts of the temple. But look at what God says. Firstly, to the eunuch, look at verse 4. For this is what the Lord says to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose to, who choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant. To them, I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will endure forever. I mean, did did you catch that? To the ceremonially unclean, incomplete eunuchs, to those who hold fast to God. Not only will God let them in the temple, it's like he's going to put a plaque up in the temple, a memorial to them, treat them better than sons of daughters. And, I mean, this is virtually scandalous to the Old Testament Jews that the eunuch of all people would get such a high honour and inclusion. And as for foreigners, those outsiders, look at verse 6. And for foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord and minister to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants, who all who keep the Sabbath without desecrating it and hold fast to my covenant, these I will bring up to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. Now those phrases there, holy mountain, house of prayer, they're, just, they're, they're again references to the temple. And so just like the eunuchs, the foreigners who really do want to follow the Lord, they are now welcomed in as well. 
Salvation has come fully to them in my house of prayer. And friends, for us who are foreigners, which is, I take it, most of us Aussies here, uh, this may not seem like a big deal, but to an Old Testament Jew in Isaiah's time, these words are mind-boggling. And what it shows you is the heart of our God, that he has a massive missionary heart. His intention is to reach out and gather to him as many people as he can into this permanent covenant, into his kingdom, no matter how unlikely you think they are. All best summarized, look at verse 8 where it says, The sovereign Lord declares, He who gathers the exiles of Israel, I will gather still others to them beside those already gathered. Here is our, here's the heart of our God. He loves to gather people. He so loves people that he longs to bring them in. This is why the servant came in the first place. This is why he substituted himself for sinners, so that anyone who wants to have their sins washed clean, anyone can be full members of God's family. No second-class citizen, no one excluded anymore. Anyone can be one of God's people gathered. This is what our God is like. And if we are to be a sign of him as we wait, well, we'll need to have that mindset as well. We need to have that missionary mindset as well. And you see this played out, don't you, as you head into the New Testament. Some of you will potentially know where I'm already going already, but, but you'll know that when you get into the pages of the New Testament and you come across someone like the, uh, the Apostle Philip, who in Acts 7 is telling people about Jesus, telling people about the offer, making the offer. He's on the road in, uh, it's in Acts chapter 8, sorry, in Acts chapter 8. And as he's telling about others about Jesus, offering the invitation, who's he come across, would you believe it? He comes across an Ethiopian eunuch, someone actually who is precisely both the things mentioned in Isaiah 56, a foreigner, and a eunuch. And when he meets the Ethiopian eunuch, do you know which part of the Bible the Ethiopian eunuch is reading and he can't understand it? He's reading Isaiah. And which part of Isaiah is he reading? But chapter 53. Chapters just leading up to the stuff about the servant. How he was pierced for our transgressions. And we get Luke tells us that beginning from that part of Scripture, Philip told him the good news about Jesus, offered him the invitation. And after that conversation, a foreigner and a eunuch was welcomed in the, the people of God exactly as this passage said it would. All because of what the servant has done. All because of what the heart of our God is like. Now, friends, consider your own waiting as you wait for Jesus to return. You wait for his salvation to come in full. Wait with righteousness, absolutely. But also wait with a missionary heart. Keep gathering and welcoming others like God does. Because, you know, like I said earlier, the, the average person will spend three to five years of their life waiting in queues. That can feel like a long time in some ways. But for Christian people, there is, of course, a sense where we as disciples of Jesus, we spend every year of our entire life waiting. Every minute of every day, we are waiting for our master to return. And while that waiting can be exciting as we eagerly look forward to, to, all the, to everything reaching their final consummation, 
Waiting can also be a difficult time where it tests your patience and it tests your stamina and it tests your faith. And for some people, it's too hard to wait so long and they fall away altogether. But for those who will wait and hang in there, we do want to be waiting well. We don't want to be sitting on our hands doing nothing. We want to be great ambassadors of God for his kingdom. And so we wait with righteousness and we wait with a missionary heart, offering the invitation to as many as we can. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we want to say we're sorry for the times we've not waited well and in fact sought satisfaction in just the things of this world rather than the things you have on offer through the suffering servant Jesus. Help us, Father, to have that perspective, to enjoy the blessings you give, to wait eagerly for Jesus' return, but also to have the gumption, the bravery, the willingness to offer the invitation to as many as we can. And Father, we pray for your help to do this in Jesus' name. Amen.